Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fine. So I was hanging around reading the Constitution, you know, like you do. Well, I do, so don't be flippant about that. <laughs> uh, that's true. I, should, I shouldn't say that to you because you do read the Constitution casually. I read the Constitution when something brings it up. The SCOTUS, right, Supreme Court of the United States, yes. heard a case about a New York law about Second Amendment rights. Yes. And I'm going to ask you about that, but it made me go back and read because I thought, wait, isn't the Second Amendment the one I really, really don't like? And it is, and it's not because of bearing arms. I don't, I, I have opinions on thoughts on that, but they're not relevant. It's the way it's written, which annoys me. <laughs> um, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So it sounds like word salad. It sounds like they had a bunch of words and they kept mixing them up on the fridge in Philadelphia until somebody came up with that and that was what they said, oh, let's put that in. Because that doesn't make any sense. It, I mean, it is. You can read it in a bunch of different ways, right? You could read it. Well, okay, there's, first of all, okay, as the nuns of my childhood education would go ahead and point out, it is an extremely passive sentence. They would have corrected the framers and told them to rewrite it so that it was more active. <laughs> yeah, they probably would have said take out some of the commas. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because you can't just throw phrases up here with some commas and call it a sentence. That's not how this works. <laughs> Yeah, because if that was the case, then my daughter is an excellent writer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll get her to rewrite the Constitution. I'll help. Okay. So there are two dominant ways the Second Amendment historically have been interpreted. Okay. And the, the debate flows from, or the division uh, of those two interpretations flow from the writing. Okay. Those who... Okay, would like to see greater restrictions on uh, gun ownership and use, argue that that first clause that you read is conditional, meaning that unless that condition is met, then the right that follows after the comma, okay, does not exist. So in other words, meaning you have to have a well-regulated militia. Yes, in unless order to have the right to keep and bear arms. That's right. Unless you are a part of, okay, uh, a well-regulated militia, you have no right to keep and bear arms. That's one perspective. The second perspective, okay, is that uh, that opening clause is prefatory. Um, it's kind of sort of like when, when you're having a conversation with somebody and they start off a sentence by saying, I may be crazy or wrong. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, but what's your point? <laughs> 
yes, I believe you can be both of these things. I That's right. You can be crazy, wrong, and whatever point you're about to make. Okay. And it's the point. You have multitudes in my heart. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. But it's the point that you're trying to make that according to some, okay, and usually this is the perspective of those who, who believe in robust, okay, gun ownership and usage rights, okay? Translated in public policy terms, the former perspective, okay, is one that you see um, uh, for uh, advocates of gun control, okay? Right. We're not in a military. We don't need to have a grenade launcher at our house. That's right, okay? Whereas um, the second perspective, the latter perspective, is the public policy argument made by uh, 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 gun owners. And in particular- I have the right to have a grenade launcher because the, the founders intended me for, to me for to have that right. That's and right. you never know when you're gonna have to defend yourself against somebody with a grenade launcher. Yes. So if they have a grenade launcher, I need to have a grenade launcher. Okay. Right. Now you and I have talked about this in previous podcast episodes, just as an as a size, and this really informs, if you will, the purpose of this podcast. Okay. Nia, do you own guns? Nope. Okay. <clears throat> do you want to know how many I own? Sure. I have seven. Okay, that's a lot to me. Okay, it, it's a lot. Okay. But, you know. Okay. This is a debate that not only is constitutional in nature, but it uh, also emanates from policy, if you will, discussions, debates. Okay. But it's also about culture, right? Right. So, you know, you and I both have talked about how we were born and raised in rural areas. Okay. Um, and oh, everybody in my family owns guns except me. Okay. I mean, I, I'm the only one. And in part, it's because uh, I fear that I would probably hurt myself or someone else it, because I'm not well trained. I believe firmly in the right to gun ownership if you are trained and if you're licensed in some way. I, I don't have any problem with that. I, I'm not so, my line comes in the what level of gun do you require, right? Like that's where I draw a line. So I think everybody draws lines in different places. I don't think that people should own AK-47 assault rifles unless you're planning to assault something, which that seems like a bad idea most of the time, right? Like, And, 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 and by the way, what you just got done saying is gonna touch upon the Supreme Court cases we're going to be looking at in this podcast episode, okay? Awesome. Uh, because in part, okay, it's going to touch upon uh, the arguments and explanations made by the United States Supreme Court um, in regards to what is the meaning of the Second Amendment. Um, so just as an example and a little bit of foreshadowing, if you will, Okay. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I, th this is a trailer for those of you who are bin watchers of shows. Okay. Um, you may, you went ahead and said that you would, you understand that individuals um, may have a right to have a firearm for de self defense purposes. Right? Absolutely. 
Okay, and we're going to talk about that in regards to the Supreme Court's narrow rulings in favor of an individual right to bear and uh, keep and uh, uh, bear a firearm um, in some recent Supreme Court cases, recent being, you know, the last 15 to 20 years. Because <laughs> that's what recent is in SCOTUS time. Yes, it is. Time and, and, and the time that it takes for glaciers to form are similar. Yeah. <laughs> so... Like, but they're the like, hand, oh, you know, that recent ruling from 2008. And you're like, okay, recent's relative when you're a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, well, you know, when I go ahead and, and use that phrase, recent ruling from the Supreme Court, and I talk about the 1990s, I now have <laughs> students who are like, dude, that's not recent. I wasn't born then. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> no, it counts in, in SCOTUS world. Yes, right? But... On the first time moves differently when you wear one of those black robes. Sure, it sure does. Okay. <laughs> Their conception of time and my conception of time, hmm, yeah, okay. So, on the other side, okay, you have individuals who would argue that, for instance, an AK-47 is not a self-defense weapon. It, by its if you will, description is an assault weapon. Yes, that's what I would argue. Okay. And thus, even if you acknowledge that there is a, an individual right protected by the Second Amendment, it doesn't protect an assault weapon or, or a grenade launcher or a nuke. Okay. Or a, tank, or a Huey. Yes. Or any other thing that is. That is not, I mean, when's the last time you defended yourself with a helicopter? <laughs> right? Like, that's not, uh, I, unless you're in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, that's probably not, or now I guess it's The Rock. Ooh, I just showed my age, didn't I? Yes, you did. I guess it's The Rock now. Um, <laughs> unless you're in one of his movies, you're probably not defending yourself with a Huey. Okay, so you started off by saying, the reason why you read the words of the Second Amendment is that because the Supreme Court handed down um, uh, a ruling on a Second Amendment case. And the name of the case, for uh, uh, those of you uh, who want to look this up, is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, okay, versus the city of New York, okay? We In can this case, decide is which. <laughs> yeah, right? So this case I'm pretty sure the Pistol Association is not happy about any infringement or perceived infringement on their right to carry pistols and rifles wherever they want to. Yes, and in fact, being able to carry it wherever they want to was at the heart of this case, because the city of New York had a law that prohibited the transfer of unloaded and locked firearms from your residence to anywhere other than one of the seven shooting ranges within the city. That seems extremely restrictive to me. Yes, okay, and that was the argument made by New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. I'm kind of with the rifle. Wow, I didn't think those words would come out of my mouth, but I'm kind of with the Rifle and Pistol Association on this one. So, um, in 2013, okay, the association 
filed suit claiming that uh, the city of New York's ordinance, okay, violated their Second Amendment right. It also violated uh, the right to travel, okay, because they basically went ahead and argued that they could not travel, okay, to other parts of the state with their handguns, okay, um, which is protected by a previous Supreme Court ruling, they argued, okay, well, actually a couple Supreme Court rulings, one, establishing a right to travel, but two, okay, the right to go ahead and carry your firearm for defensive protect protection reasons. We have okay. a right to travel? Uh, yes, the Warren Court established that in the 1960s, okay? They went ahead and said that there is an unenumerated right to travel associated with uh, interstate commerce, okay, but also privileges and immunities of being a citizen of the United States. <laughs> but they did it under the Commerce Clause, didn't they? Because everything. The Commerce Clause, but also there is a Privileges and Immunities Clause in the main text of the Constitution. Unfortunately, as you pointed out about the language of the Second Amendment, our framers did not provide a glossary that defined privileges and immunities. <laughs> our framers, so here's my, my frustration with people say, who say the text reads blah, blah, blah. First of all, that text reads like the person who wrote it was slightly high. I'm just like, that's terrible text. If you got that in a paper, oh. you would circle that and make a note off to the side that says, what the heck does this mean? Please be more clear. You know, question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, I can see what you would write because that's what any professor would write. Oh my goodness. Uh, that should have been sent back as a big old typo. <laughs> but also, I, I, they were not prognosticators. They had no idea what the future of guns were and the ability for guns to become as deadly. This touches upon something that I hope we were going to get to, which is how do you interpret the Constitution, right? Because I have a lot of students, okay, who share your perspective. The framers could not have envisioned how American society would change, and in particular, since we're focusing on guns, how gun technology would change. I mean, because guns made today are efficient, high-volume, killing if you will, tools. Right. Okay. In contrast to what you just you just described about the nature of gun technology. But there's also there's not just a lot of improvement in the actual physical technology of a gun. In yes. such that I could probably pick one up and fire it without too much difficulty. I probably wouldn't hit anything because I don't have I have almost no hand-eye coordination whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, if I could have negative hand-eye coordination, I'd probably have that, actually, technically. But, but it, you know what I mean? Like, if you can drive by and hit a target, that's improved technology to the level that I don't think the founders even dreamed about. Okay, but then you come... Okay, so that's one method of constitutional interpretation. The other method is... A right method, I think, is the word you're looking for. 
Okay, well, that's one. <laughs> I'm always right about these things. <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face saying that. Anyway, yeah, you can't either. I, you, yeah, you just got me snorting, and that hardly <laughs> ever happens, okay? Okay, high-pitched giggle, sure. Okay, snorts, not so much, okay? Yes, my day's complete. The other method, though, would go ahead and say, if the right existed, if we as a society want to change the nature of the right, limit it, expand it, okay, accommodate it for changing times, it's not the job, the responsibility of the courts to do so, it's up to the people and their representatives through what process? In Congress, for laws. Laws or the amendment process, okay? I'm assuming some sort of statutory something. Well, I, I mean, right? yeah, I mean, if you were gonna go ahead, for instance, and emphasize that the conditional part of the Second Amendment, the well-regulated militia is what should be emphasized, then, okay, pass a constitutional amendment that makes it clear that that is a necessary variable. Yeah, because you could, if you changed a, a, an amendment, if you change the amendment to say, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state period, no, that still sucks. You'd have yeah, to rewrite the no, whole thing. No, what you, all, all you'd have to go ahead and say is, okay, Individuals may possess firearms if and only if they are what? Members of a well-regulated militia. Although, see, now the thing is, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. So There's two different methods, right, of interpreting the Constitution. Right. The method you are suggesting, okay, the one that you're more comfortable with, okay, is known as loose construction or non-interpretivist. The Constitution is a living document. Yes. We should recognize that the framers could not have envisioned, okay, in this particular instance, how gun technology, okay, uh, would change. Or how much, for instance, as my dear departed uh, colleague, Herb Hirsch, uh, used to dis discuss the myth of the American gun culture, right? How that arose. Right? right. Okay. Oh, the Wild West and the lone, the lone lawman, and you know, versus the bad guys in the streets and the, with the tumbleweed behind them and all. Yeah. Guns as peacemakers. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, but wait, I didn't yeah. get to say what cake I wanted to have and eat, which is, I would want an amendment that said, that said you can own a firearm, for self defense. But it has to be, and I would have a better term than reasonable because that's a terrible term and doesn't mean it. Oh, by the way, we're going to discuss reasonableness. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. But, you know, that it would be a reasonable firearm to own. Like, I, I'm not of the opinion that it should only be people in a militia because then you'll have people who will create militias. <laughs> that is not a road I want to go down because that's all we've already got some of that it 
among my people up in the Appalachians, right? We've already got people who are who belong to some sort of neighborhood militia thing and just terrifies me. So I'm not I'm not say, uh, suggesting that, but I am suggesting that couldn't there be something between these two things? I, what what is so aggravating to me about about the Second Amendment discussions is they're always so polarized. Oh my God! Yes. You either hate yes. guns and you hate the people who own them, which is not true for me, or you adore guns and you think everybody should have every kind of gun they want, which is not true for me. Like, I I. I'm fond of you. I have come to be fond of you over the years that we have worked together, but I don't think you should own an AK-47 assault rifle. Neither do I, by the way. Right. And that's one of the reasons I'm fond of you because you're reasonable. See, I think reasonable people can say to themselves, I want a good rifle. I want a pistol. I want self-defense, a handgun for self-defense without having to have something that's armor piercing and can take out a whole city block yeah so the new york case okay the 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 association challenged uh the new york law and the association lost in uh, the lower federal district court at the trial court but also um uh in the third circuit court of appeals okay and uh, they uh, appealed the Third Circuit Court of Appeals ruling to the United States Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court decided to take the case last year, almost immediately, the city of New York rescinded the ordinance and the state of New York passed a state law basically affirming what the city of New York did. Okay, because in part, and this is affirming the rescinding. Yes. Okay. Not affirming the original. No. Okay. Okay. And in in and I talk about this in constitutional law, but also in my courts and politics class. Basically, what the city and state of New York were doing is they were afraid that the United States Supreme Court would take the case to send a very clear message that this kind of law violated the Second Amendment, and they didn't want that to happen. So, oh, yeah, because that's setting precedent that yes, 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 to overcome in the future. Yes. So, so they were they trying rescinded. to dodge a bullet. Yeah. So they were sending. Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Yes. Well, I didn't mean yeah, that. That was very, very bad. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't actually think that through. Anyway. So after the Supreme Court announces that they are taking the association's challenge to the city of New York ordinance, okay, um, uh, uh, the city and state of New York respond. And then the city of New York uh, filed a motion with the Supreme Court asking that the court declare the case moot. Okay? M-O-O-T. That's right. Okay? Which yeah. means to make something irrelevant, right? Like... Right. It's a rule say, of just... It's a rule of just disability. point is moot. Yes. It's, it's a rule of just disability where basically a court says there is now no longer 
a case or a controversy. There aren't two opposing sides. So this court issuing a ruling, okay, uh, would have no value or benefit. There's nothing to decide. Yeah, there's nothing to decide, right? Now, the Supreme Court, interestingly enough, actually heard oral arguments in this case last November after the city of New York said, hey, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, we got rid of this. This is now moot, right? But the court still heard the case. Why? Okay, well, in part, okay, some of the justices, and we will see this in one of the, uh, in the dissenting opinion in this, in this ruling, some of the justices were not entirely convinced that, shall we say, the city of New York was all that sincere. <laughs> it's rescinding? Yes. So okay. they saw through the ploy. Yes, right? And they were like, you're just trying to avoid a ruling against you. Yes. That's not okay. Yes, okay. But interestingly There's enough... There's nothing in the system to stop that, right? There's nothing in the system that yeah, stops New York. You. Yeah, because New York tomorrow could pass a brand new ordinance that does the exact same thing as the previous one. Okay? And then it would just make its way back through the courts. More than likely, yes. But oh while... Gosh, they could keep doing this for 20 years, right? Yes. And nobody would have any idea what the laws were at any given time. Yes, which defeats one of the purposes of law in general which is public safety. Well, but also behavioral norms. Right. Okay, how do I know if I am or am not violating the law because this year it's been rescinded, but next year? <laughs> right, it would, it would impact people's ability to plan. It would also, it would impact police officers' ability to enforce the law. Yeah. What is it this month? I mean, okay. Six of, the, six of the justices sided with uh, New York and said the case is now moot, okay? Um, and uh, they pointed to the fact that uh, both the city and the state uh, rescinded uh, the, the law, right? Okay. Now, one of the justices who were, was part of the majority, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, wrote a concurring opinion and said, okay, per our precedent, per our definition of mootness, what the city of New York did made this case moot. However, Kavanaugh made it very clear. He said, we, the court, we as members of the court need to take up one of a number of challenges to lower court rulings upholding state and local go government gun laws. So Kavanaugh and his concurrence went ahead and said, hey, I agree with the rest of the majority. This case is now moot. However, we have, okay, a couple handful. In fact, there are actually 10 appeals, cert writs, okay? It's called the writ of certiorari, okay? That's the Latin. Lay people say, oh, there's appeals to the Supreme Court. There are 10 different appeals of lower court decisions where people, groups have challenged state and local government laws. In a couple instances, 
it's federal regulations of gun ownership, okay? Uh, basically arguing that the lower courts are not staying faithful to two landmark Supreme Court Second Amendment rulings. The two landmark Supreme Court rulings that we're talking about, the recent cases of a few moments ago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Nia just did air quotes. <clears throat> okay. Uh, D.C. versus Heller, D District of Columbia versus Heller, 2008. Interestingly enough, that was the first time the Supreme Court definitively acknowledged that the Second Amendment protected an individual right. The Supreme Court for most of the country's history avoided the issue. Really? They avoided the issue. They got all the way to 2008 before 2008, they, got, before they right. got tacked down on that. Yes, they avoided it until 2008. The vote was five to four. The majority, the majority opinion was written by Scalia, writing for the uh, five conservatives, and Scalia, okay, said that at the time the con uh, the Second Amendment was written, uh, the framers, um, and in particular most of the states, um, acknowledged that individuals had a right to keep and bear firearms for defense and protection reasons, okay? That the clause in the Second Amendment, okay, the first clause, okay, for a well-regulated militia, according to Scalia, was merely a preface, okay? But here's the interesting thing, and this is where, Nia, all of these cases have arisen since 2008. Scalia, in his majority opinion, has uh, uh, acknowledged that the Supreme Court has historically allowed reasonable regulations of individual rights found in the Constitution, and that the court's ruling in this case, okay, uh, was not undercutting that longstanding deference to reasonable regulations. Now, he gave a few examples. Um, in regards to the, uh, 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 the, uh, the right uh, 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 to uh, keep and bear a firearm, he went ahead and said that uh, keeping guns out of the hands of felons or those with uh, mental and emotional issues have been longstanding in our country's history. Okay. Oh, and he wasn't trying to negate that. No, he was saying. He was saying that's reasonable. That is a reasonable regulation interpretation of this. Okay. And this is where, and this is where so much of these, this litigation focuses on. Is right? reasonableness reasonableness? Yeah, that's right. Best. Okay. What is it, a reasonable? Yeah, and it, 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 and it gets to your point that you've made a couple times in this podcast. What is reasonable, right? Right. Now, two years after D.C. versus Heller, okay, D.C. versus Heller was a federal case because remember, folks, the District of Columbia is considered, okay, federal property. It is the nation's capital, much to the chagrin of the residents 
of the District of Columbia. Yes, right? because they don't have, they have a member of Congress, but that person can't vote, right? Non-voting, that's right. Yeah. So they, it wasn't might until well, the 19th, they might as well be Northern Mariana for all the... Yes. And it wasn't until the 1960s that they could uh, 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 vote for members of the Electoral College. Wow. Yep. Two years later, after D.C. versus Eller, in a case of McDonald versus the city of Chicago, the Supreme Court, again, five to four votes, said that the Second Amendment applied to state and local governments via the 14th Amendment's due process clause, okay? Um, and they declared unconstitutional uh, the city of Chicago's uh, gun law that basically required you to register your firearm every year, even if you didn't break a gun law. <laughs> every year. That seems extreme. <laughs> I mean, I guess they were, they, I guess the justification that they were using was we require you to register your car every year. Like that's not a, there are other things that we require you to do each year. We require you to pay taxes each year we require you to do certain things each year i guess that's where the city was coming up with that maybe yeah the, um, uh, that un unfortunately uh, for the city of chicago the supreme court made it very clear that registering your vehicle uh while being able to drive a car is a privilege not a right granted in the constitution but the second amendment says that individuals have a right to firearms hmm it's not like you have to go ahead and, you know, register every time you want to write a book. You just write a book, and if somebody's willing to buy it, fine. Right? Okay. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I see the arguments on both sides, but I can't believe I'm going to say these words. Oh, yeah. this causes me pain. I agree with Scalia. I, now I have to lay down for a little while. Um, he and I actually, you know what, in a lot of cases, I actually agreed with Scalia. It's just sometimes he got all over my last left nerve um, with some of the things that he said and did. But, but he was a brilliant jurist. But um, Okay. But, so, but, so reasonableness is the, is the problem then. It become, it become, the question becomes, what's reasonable? For me, what's reasonable is up to, say, a Glock. But for someone who is a gun aficionado, it, we keep coming back to the AK-47, so I'm going to say a Kalashnikov um, or whatever is a reasonable gun because they want to own that. They like the way the gun looks. They like the way the gun feels. They don't have an intention to kill hundreds of people at a time. So their intent is reasonable. Right, so then you get the question of what's reasonable in terms of, yeah, I can see where I can see where this is complicated, and I can see where Kavanaugh is saying the lower courts should not be allowed to flaunt the the decisions made by the Supreme Court, because if you allow that, then there's no point in having a Supreme Court. Like, yeah, what's the purpose of judicial review if the lower courts are not going to abide? by our previous rulings, okay, our precedent. So the lower court should have found New York City's strictness 
unreasonable. Yes. And sent it back for go away, come back with a better rule. I mean, come back with a better law that is more reasonable and we will. And by the way, that was Justice Alito's dissent in the New York case. This is not moot because the city of New York passed a law that violated their rights. There might be a cause of action, okay, for liability purposes, and we should have addressed this. And oh yeah, by the way, okay, um, as my brother Kavanaugh pointed out in his concurrence, okay, this court needs to go ahead and give clear guidance to the lower courts as to what is or is not a reasonable regulation or restriction on this right. I agree with that. Okay. I, I mean, um, I, I think that it would be better if the lower courts had a better idea of what, if we all had a better definition, definition of reasonable. Yes. Right. Cause reasonable for one person is not the same as reasonable for another. So what you have in part is how should, what should be the standard of evaluating restrictions on this right. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, Nia. I know you got exposed to this uh, when you took class with me when you were a master's student. But basically, the Supreme, er, the, the Supreme Court has acknowledged that when they look at a government law or regulation of a right, there are three standards of review. The most general and the one that's used the most is known as rational basis, right? Um, does the law have some sort of rationality behind it, okay? And the reason why most laws get this is that otherwise, why have a legislative body if the courts are always going to go ahead and say to the legislative body, you know, your laws are wrong, bad, don't further public policy, et cetera. So rational basis is basically the court's way of saying, hey, it might be bad public policy, but you had a rationality behind it and it doesn't violate the constitution, okay? It's a pretty easy standard to meet. And okay. by the way, most laws, most regulations are reviewed that way. The second level, is known as intermediate scrutiny. And basically with intermediate scrutiny, typically used, or at least it was created to look at cases where gender was used as a category in a law or regulation. It, with intermediate scrutiny, the court says, is there a legitimate interest in treating the genders differently? And is the law, okay, uh, substantially related to that purpose, okay? So it's, there's more scrutiny, but still, if the government can show that they had a substantial, you know, a legitimate interest and the law or the program was substantially related, the court still might approve it. It's a little bit more difficult, okay? I'm trying to think of one where that would apply. Okay, well, to give you an example, well, you know, think about, for instance, uh, think about businesses 
um, where they have requirements that you be able to um, uh, carry and pick up heavy, you know, machinery or heavy loads or heavy boxes, right? Okay. Now, just in terms of physical genetics, okay, many women would might get excluded from those jobs simply because of their bodies, right? Right. So that means many of them may not get hired for those jobs. Now, on one hand, that would seemingly violate a number of federal laws that prohibit gender discrimination in the workplace. On the other hand, if it was applied in okay, a neutral way, okay, would that regulation that applied it in a neutral way, okay, uh, violate, you know, the Constitution? Okay, I see. So if what we said was must be able to lift a 50-pound box on a regular basis, and two candidates came in, one male and one female, and the female could do it, and the male could do it, then they couldn't say we're not hiring the woman. That's right they would have to say we're looking at other things on their resume to see who's more yes applicable to the job okay i see okay okay the third level i can see where that would be more complicated yeah the third level of scrutiny okay is called strict scrutiny and it's used almost exclusively for race okay and it flows from the supreme court's landmark decision in brown versus board of education in strict scrutiny, the court asked two questions, okay? Is there a compelling reason to treat the races differently? And if so, is the program, the law, the policy, narrowly tailored, okay, the least restrictive way to achieve that compelling interest? Now, the joke among lawyers is with strict scrutiny, it is strict in theory, fatal in fact most laws that get strict where the court uses strict scrutiny are declared unconstitutional okay so keep that in mind now let's apply to gun laws and reasonableness many gun rights groups and individuals want laws that regulate or control guns to get at least intermediate scrutiny or strict scrutiny. Whereas many states and local governments remind the courts, hey, we have police power. And typically laws related to our police power are reviewed with what level rational basis? A rational basis is pretty easy to meet. But if, if a law gets intermediate scrutiny or strict scrutiny, while the chances go up that the law will be declared what, Nia? Oh, unconstitutional. Constitutional. Something along the lines of stop and frisk. That's right. Which, which was declared unconstitutional because it was a racist. Well, that's what the lower federal courts have said. But remember... Yeah. The Supreme Court in the late 60s said stop and frisk is what? Did they say it was okay? Constitutional. Ah. Yes. Okay. And those who, you know, argue that but stop, stop that and frisk. Be, 
is unconstitutional say stop and frisk policy should be reviewed with intermediate scrutiny or strict scrutiny. Right. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see. I see. So that's why, okay, now I'm starting to follow you with the SCOTUS, how the SCOTUS can rule one way and then in two or three generations rule a different way because scrutiny has changed. That's right. Because what used to be acceptable at in a time of its time, I'm, I'm thinking like just broadly sort of the openly racist Jim Crow laws. That's right. Uh, of the 20s and 30s have, have, now I'm not saying there's not racism now because there is, but it's had to, it's had to morph because of the scrutiny that's been applied to that as civil rights have become more yeah, because prior widespread. Yeah, prior to the Supreme Court's ruling in Brown versus Board of Education, typically the federal courts ruled on Jim Crow laws using rational basis. So very low standard. Very easy standard to meet. Okay. Okay. But once the Supreme Court in Brown versus Board said, hey, laws that treat the races differently, okay. Should get, acceptable. should get strict scrutiny. Right. Oh, well, hey, <laughs> okay. A bunch of that went out the window. Okay. Yeah, so think about how, for instance, okay, almost any group that is protecting or advocating for a certain right, they will frequently go ahead and ask the federal courts to use heightened scrutiny at least intermediate, if not strict. And that's what gun rights owners are advocating for, whereas state and local governments, in many cases, have persuaded lower courts to use rational basis. And a lot of that gets to this question of reasonableness. Right. It's more difficult for a government to show reasonableness when a court's using intermediate or strict scrutiny. I see. And so what Kavanaugh and Alito are calling for is stricter scrutiny by the, lower, by the lower courts. They want the lower courts to engage in a higher level of scrutiny of the law than they are currently doing. Or at minimum, they want the Supreme Court to take one of these 10 cases and offer clarity to the lower courts. Because what you're seeing across the country, Nia, is this wide array, okay, of reviews of gun laws. That's not helpful. I mean, because you got I mean, to... It's weird for you if you live in one state and your family lives in another state and you're going to visit and you wish to carry a firearm with you for a variety of reasons, none of which are harmful, but carrying it across the border turns into a thing and there's different rules in different states and I, or different localities. I can see where they want a more... Um, uniform. Thank you. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Yep. They want a more uniform interpretation. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So will they take a case, you think? Well, 
this is the last thing that I, I really wanted to make sure that we touched upon, right? Oh, okay. Okay. And this gets into, um, you ever heard the, the phrase, Nia, inside baseball? Yeah, wasn't there a movie about that? Wait. No, no. <laughs> I, I'm thinking something else. Okay, inside baseball is a phrase that goes ahead and talks about what goes into every pitch, every swing, every batter uh, in the game of baseball. And if you're a huge baseball... Oh, my gosh. It's those lunatics like you who are sitting in the stands with a clipboard making notes and being all like, when this batter comes up, this is a... Yes, okay. Blah, and they need to do blah blah in order to get this person out and... Yes. So what, what I'm about ready to describe is some of the strategic decisions that go on among the justices in trying to decide what cases to take, what cases to hear. So this okay? is inside SCOTUS. Yes, this is inside SCOTUS, right? So if you look at the vote in the New York case, six of the justices said the case was moot, right? So gun rights advocates were like, ah, we almost got the court there, right? Now, you got Kavanaugh, who was in the majority, but he writes this concurring opinion that says, we need to take one of these cases. I agree that this particular case, the New York case, was moot, but we need to take one of these other appeals. Then you had three justices, Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, who are basically say the Supreme Court should have not only decided the New York case on its merits, but we need to take one of these cases to send a very clear message to the lower courts that we're not fooling around about the Second Amendment, right? Now, the Supreme Court's got an internal rule that's not required by the Constitution or federal law. It's called the Rule of Four, okay? If four of the nine justices want to take a case, then they will. Really? Yes. It doesn't have to be a majority. That's right. It's the rule of four. And the thinking is, historically is, if that many justices want to take a case, well, if they hear a case, then maybe those four justices will get a fifth justice to agree with them. This is where it gets strategic. Well, yeah, because the only one they can get is Roberts. Yes. They're right? not going to get Kagan. They're not going to get Sotomayor. They're not going to get RBG. Yes. They may... But probably not get Gins, uh, uh, Breyer because Breyer's uh, Breyer was in uh, the uh, dissent, the the liberal uh, minority in both DC versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago. Right. So they're gambling that they can get John Roberts. That's right. If Although we, John Roberts has been notoriously hard to predict. Yes, particularly in these groundbreaking landmark cases. Yeah, he's Mr. Opaque. He's okay. Not, okay. Now, he typically votes with the other four conservatives, but he sometimes pulls his punches in these landmark cases. Yeah, Obamacare. I'm yeah, looking Obamacare, at for instance. Right? I mean, yeah. So, right? okay. okay. So, you know, part of, you know, part of the strategy on the court is, okay, if, you know, you're Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, and you're just chomping at the bit to take one of these Second Amendment cases, then you need to think strategically. If we take this and we can't get Robert's fifth vote, 
on sending a very clear message that Second Amendment rights should get intermediate or strict scrutiny. Well, we may have done more damage than good for gun rights. Okay. Yeah, right? So it's a gamble. It is a gamble, right? So, you know, it, it's kind of sort of like, for instance, the four liberals on the court right now. They may want to take one of these uh, appeals to state cases dealing with, you know, uh, dealing with regulations of abortion. But they got to be careful because who are they going to get for the fifth vote to declare a state law unconstitutional in regards to abortion? Is it going to be Roberts? Okay. And if they take the case, will Roberts join the four conservatives who, again, if the prognosticators are correct, are just, you know, itching to overturn Roe v. Wade? You see where you so it's, it's hugely political to decide. Oh my goodness, yes. Thus, do they, do they schmooze each other? Now the justices. Do they go to dinner and be like, "So, what you thinking about abortion these days?" I mean, do they do that, or do they're like, "No, I'm not bringing this up until." The justices claim that they don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Although, although the first, the first thing they teach you in law school, before they teach you anything else, is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. That's right. So That's right. I find it hard to believe that they don't try to find the answer to that question before they take a case. Well, it, like because that would be an awfully big gamble. I would love to be a fly on the wall in the conference to see how the justice is. Um, What's the, 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 the action verbs when people are adjusting thrust and parry? Right. Okay. I would like to see how they do that verbally to see where the other justices are in regards to particular, you know, legal and constitutional issues. You know, do you throw something out there that's so outrageous of a position as a justice at conference just to see what the reaction is? Okay. Well, you would, but do other justice, I mean, would they do that? You well, would do that for fun, but... Okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're right. right, I would do it for fun, but, but for strategic purposes, think about how... Well, you'd have to try to figure out what their objection to your point of view is, and then find a way to ask them that. Okay, the clerk of the Supreme Court sends out a list of pending appeals. If no justice wants to discuss a case, then the clerk will announce the court is not taking the case. They only discuss those cases at conference that at least one justice wants. Oh, so they, they, so they send out a Google poll or a survey monkey <laughs> and they say, Yes or no, and if they get nine no's, they don't even discuss it at conference. Okay, so it just falls by the wayside. Yes, but the Supreme Court does give a list early in the week as to what cases are actually going to be discussed at their conference. So, uh, okay, 
So we know tomorrow that all 10 of these Second Amendment cases will be discussed tomorrow. Wow, all 10? That seems like a bit of overkill. Now. Can they join cases? Can they say? Yeah, can they consolidate? Yeah, yes, can they, they can. say those six cases all basically turn on the same? Yeah, remember our, remember our discussion uh, a few podcast episodes ago about the uh, faithless electors? Yes. Okay. Those were two separate cases, two separate appeals. Right, 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 right. And the Supreme Court went ahead and consolidated them because they, they determined that they both deal with the same constitutional issue. Can states, okay, uh, punish electors after they've been rogue. chosen for how they vote? Right, for going rogue. Yep. So, so, so they could, in fact, take all 10 of them but turn it into one ginormous monster case of doom. <laughs> yeah, yes. They probably won't, right? No. What they're, they'll probably do is yeah. pick the three or four that go best together yes. and that answer the question they want to answer. Yes. Um, which is, hey, lower courts, knock that crap off. Or lower courts? Keep on keeping on. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then they'll and then they'll say to the other, "Sorry, you didn't. You don't meet our our. You don't you don't line up with what we want to talk about right now." That's right. So, in fact, there could be abortion cases or other cases. That's just the example I'm going to use that come up, and there's three or four of them, and they don't want to deal with the point at all. Yes. So they say, we're not hearing anything. Yep. Because I mean, we're not ready. We're not, what is it? The, something about ripeness, right? The, the question is not yet. Right. Right. Yep. That's another rule of justiceability. And so we're not willing to talk about that yet because we're just not there yet as a country or we're not there yet as a court. Or yeah, we're, we're not there as a court or uh, the lower courts haven't issued enough rulings for us to go ahead and have a clear idea what are the issues? Okay. It's an effective way to punt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, a pterodactyl. Um, I would give anything if John Roberts would say that. I would pay money to have that on my phone. John Roberts saying that, like, as my... As oh, my oh you know what would be better, Nia? Not if it was John Roberts, if Clarence Thomas, who oh. hardly ever talks to her oral arguments, goes, oh, hey, look, there's a puppy. Yeah, everybody would go, huh? Like the entire court would stop, don't you think? You know how they normally, when they're when they're doing an argument, and like the poor person who gets up there says, "If it please, you know, if it please the court," and they draw breath, and that's the last time they get to speak because oh, the, wait, 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 wait. there's four hundred questions, and the Supreme Court this term, okay, instituted a new rule. None of the justices could ask a question in the first two minutes of an attorney's oral argument. Whoa, when did, why? Be, be, Is that be, because they were hurting people's feelings and making people cry? I'm, I don't think that that was the concern. I think it was the justices recognizing that um, it was hurting the quality of the oral arguments because many or not many some of the attorneys could barely get out of their mouth what you just said may it please the court 
and the justices were jumping in, okay? And whether it was Roberts that led this effort, we don't know, okay? Because again, they decided this behind closed doors, but they instituted a new rule. No justice would ask a question in the first two minutes of oral arguments. Is there a little timer? Is there one of those little sand things that you talk no, no, about? It's not a timer. It's, uh, they, got, um, they got lights. So oh. a light actually goes off when you have like less than a minute left. Oh, okay. Yes. Can, can I just say a little kitchen chicken timer? Would be <laughs> if, Judge, if, if Justice Roberts turned it for two minutes and then it sat on his desk and went, Tick, 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 the whole time. That would be, talk about unnerving. You'd be hearing it as a, an attorney. Okay, that's a cool rule. I didn't realize they had yeah. done that. Yep. So um, we can now hear them, right? Yes, uh, because of COVID-19. We can't Starting see next them. week. No, no, we're, we won't be able to see them. We'll be able to uh, hear uh, oral arguments because they are... Uh, 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 doing it by teleconference. Yep. Wait, they're doing it like on Zoom or something? Um, no, they're using teleconferencing technology. Okay. Which for, for, for all of our younger generations, that's like three or four technologies ago. Yeah, because <laughs> Supremes. Um, you know, their recent case in 2008. So, and by the way, they announced uh, rules last week after uh, uh, an attorney can go ahead and give opening remarks, and then the questioning will go in uh, order of seniority. So we'll start with the Chief Justice, um, then it will be Clarence Thomas, and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg on down the line to Kavanaugh. Each justice will have a opportunity to ask a question uh, before the uh, free-for-all begins. <gasps> yes. Do we think Justice Thomas will ask something or do we think he'll pass? Oh, he'll pass. Yeah, he'll pass. Yeah, I'd give anything to be on the call. I'd give anything to hear how it starts. I'd give anything to hear how, how, how that call ends. All right, well, see y'all next week. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, is that what Roberts is going to say? Or is there some sort of formal, like, and thus end if the teleconference, you know what I mean? Like, no, I have a feeling it's probably more of, okay, did we cover everything that we wanted to cover? Good. I got to go to the bathroom. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> right? Something, something sort of, oh my goodness. Well, and the thing with the teleconference is if you can't see them, you won't know whether they're sleeping or not. That's the other thing. Yeah. Or if they're playing Candy Crush on their phone while you're like, they can't do that. in. Well, I mean, I guess they could do that in person, but they probably don't do that in person. They probably sit there and look all studious, but now they're going to be able to wear their pajamas and, you know, I know Candy Crush is like four years ago, but you know what I mean, whatever the cool no, game. Is, but that is interesting because, you know. Oh, oh, words with friends. That's what they're playing. Words with friends. <laughs> That would be so hard to play with that group of people. <laughs> what do you mean we can't use Latin? You can't use <laughs> only in English. Oh my gosh, that would be funny. Okay, we've digressed. <laughs> yes, All right. we have.
So do we? So we think we'll see then some yeah. Jesus Delta yeah. honor combination of cases. Yeah, I I see uh, easily uh, one or two or uh, maybe two or three of these cases consolidated because I think um, uh, four of the justices pretty clearly want to take a Second Amendment case, and um, uh, uh, and and again, there's so many of them right? I mean, there are 10 of them, right? I mean, you, you know, you're going to throw some spaghetti at the wall and hit something. Yeah. Something's going to stick. <laughs> something's gonna have to stick. I mean, because again, this is a significant public policy issue, right? Yeah. I mean, people die well, because of guns, right? Clearly. And it's clearly an issue that the states are not going to just give up on. Like, no. New York did not say, oh, well, that's the end of that. That's not how that that's not how that's going to work. So that'll be fascinating to see. Okay, well, we'll come back and talk about it then after we figure out how all that works and whether it's cool or not. All right, thanks. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye, Nia. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.